Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. I have one of my favorite humans on today to tell you about an amazing product that we both love. Well, thank you, honey. This is Milkman Mark Hyman here telling you about the almond cow, which I saw on those Instagram posts and I thought we've got to have one of these and see whether it is actually as good as it looks. And it is. It's actually even better because there are things that you can make out of it. Almond milk, oat milk, Cashew milk, uh, coconut milk, anything you want, you can make in this. And what's great is you have, there are fewer preservatives, less sugar, and then what you get left over at the end is this pulp that you can make into, can make cookies or muffins, so nothing goes to waste. And it's there anytime. So if you run out of milk, you don't have to run to the store. It is so amazing. We love it, love it, love it. So if you want to get your own, check out the link and use code LARA for extra savings. Approved by The Milkman. Good movement and welcome to Redefining Yoga, a lit yoga podcast, which is designed to investigate all aspects of the modern evolution of yoga from my background as a physical therapist and lover of movement. My mission is to help everyone find freedom through smarter and safer movement patterns so together we can be uplifted, benefiting all beings. Welcome to Friday with Friends. Today, I'm honored to have Tori DeVito with me. Tori and I talk about her journey in acting, modeling, being a humanitarian animal activist, and much more. You might recognize her from her roles in Chicago Med, Pretty Little Liars, and The Vampire Diaries. But she has played even bigger roles in people's lives in the palliative care work she does, the volunteer work she does, and we discuss this and her own spiritual journey, incorporating astrology, meditation, and self-reflection. She is a wonderful human being and really lit up my afternoon. And please enjoy my conversation with the beautiful Tori. Welcome, Tori. So happy to have you on today. We already chatted a little bit ahead of time, and I'm just really excited to share you with my audience. So thank you for coming on here. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. Well, I know a lot of people will know you um, in your role as an actor, actress. So can you tell us first about the pathway to become an actress? Did you always have aspirations to do this? And how did you find yourself where you are now? 
Yeah. I mean, yes and no. I think subconsciously, maybe when I was a kid, when I was seven, I saw Les Mis for the first time, Les Miserables, and I fell in love with the Eponine character. And I wanted to be her so badly. And my mom made me the costume and I would perform all the songs. And I just had this like performance bone in my body. Um, but I had started playing violin when I was six. And so that was kind of my all my formative years playing outside of school, traveling over to Europe to play. And then I think uh, I got into acting around 15 years old. I had started modeling. I was very shy wasn't really into it. And a photographer suggested that I should get into an acting class to kind of open me up. And so when I went into the acting class, I was like, oh, this is what I want to do. I love this. And my father, who is a drummer, he sat me down because he saw I was kind of dabbling in everything. And he was like, look, like, you know, you can do all these things, but if you want to really be great at something, like, pick it and really go for it. And I was like, okay. And it was a hard decision because I'd been playing violin my entire life. And um, I decided then to kind of put that in second place and really go for acting and, you know, started working, drove my Explorer Sport out to L.A. when I the month I turned 18. And that was it. Wow. That's incredible. I mean, that's that's like a big a big leap of faith. Yeah. Um, I mean, I guess at 18, you can always say, hey, if it doesn't work out, I can always go back to stuff. But that is, right. um, there's some real clarity in that. And I love that. Yeah. And so what did you find about acting when you said you got into that and you had been shy? What part of acting revealed your inner self or, or helped you connect to that? You know, I loved uh, getting into another character. And I always loved, like when I had like really great emotional stuff to do and I had to like tap in. And I remember when I first like kind of uh, was realized I was able to kind of tap into crying whenever I wanted to and could access emotions. And when I do scenes that I would like, just felt like I left everything on the floor, I would feel so exhausted at the end of it, but it would feel like such a good, it was like cathartic. Like a purge. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It was like a purge. And I just, I just loved it. And it's, funny because I don't really fully remember making the decision of like, I'm going to be a professional actor. I'm moving to LA. It just kind of seemed like once I started acting, it was just like, well, yeah, that's what I'm doing. But I don't remember like sitting down and, you know, having the conversation with my family. It was kind of like, we all just kind of knew that was going to happen. It was so weird. It's like, go big or go home. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Why do but I yeah, also yeah. Think you have to be that young to have that like naivete? Yeah. Because I think the older you get, if you told me to go do that right now, I'd be like, um, let's, let's think about it for a second. <laughs> yeah. You know, I interviewed Annabeth Gish. I don't know if you know Annabeth. She and I went to college together and I interviewed her on oh. here. And so I knew her prior to her going to LA, but she was already a pretty well-known actress because she had been in this uh, Mystic Pizza with Julia Roberts. And one of the questions I asked her, and I'm really curious, because you did go out there with, I'm sure, a lot of exuberance, but what, what happens when you're out there and you, like, I, my husband was a professional actor for 10 years and he would tell me some of the things that people would say in, in auditions. And I'm like, I would be crushed they're like, uh, yeah, you're not what I'm looking for. I'm looking for tall and handsome, you know, like something. And he is handsome, but it's like, he's like, I'm not taking it personally. They have an idea. But what is that like? I think as a woman, we are also 
we the the scope is even smaller and 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 just the we're put on under such a microscope i'm not saying that men don't deal with it in the same way but i i suspect it's even harder did you how quickly did you find that out in hollywood oh my god like the next day <laughs> i feel like i moved there and got my ass handed to me i always say cuz you know i also had these i didn't have any fear about it cuz i didn't know what to expect and when I started going out to auditions and they were like, she's really green, this and that. And I remember I'd be in an odd casting and like some casting director walked up to me. And when I was younger, I used to break out really badly on my forehead. And he like walked up. He's like, what's, what's all that going on? And I got really mad actually. And I was like, I'm about to get my period. And I like walked out of the room. <laughs> I was so like incensed. I was like, who talks to somebody like that? You know, or just like, then you get that kind of, I always had that, you know, you have that weird kind of male dynamic too in some rooms where they're like, wow, you're like, you're like a baby fawn. You're just so new. And I'd be like, oh, gross. Like, what does that even mean? Like, you know, and you just kind of keep moving past all these comments and your skin just grows thicker and thicker. And I think the key though, is to keep your soul soft. That's, you know what I mean? Once you feel like your soul is hardening along with your skin, that's when you know, you got to get out. It's just, um, but you kind of like, you know, it's like being able to laugh it off is what I learned was so important. But I honestly thought, you know, I remember saying to my best friend, like I was living in Florida at the time and I was leaving my high school best friend. And I was like, don't worry, I'll be back in like a, a year. I'm just going to go set up my career. And then once I make it, I'll come back. And I was like a year. I've been doing this for 20 years now. Like how naive I was. And when I went, like I... I learned, you know, acting in Florida and it was a lot of Nickelodeon stuff. So I didn't even have the tools to actually access the artist that I am today yet. And I met this amazing acting coach when I was 18 in LA that changed who I am as an actor. And I actually like a tribute to the fact that I'm working um, this consistently in my life to him. Had I not met him, I think I just would have been like, like I wouldn't have known what to do. Yes. I mean, cause you came there obviously with a lot of confidence and charisma, but that could easily been chipped away. Um, so I'm curious in acting, not only maybe finding parts of yourself clearly, were there any times where you felt like you were at all betraying who you were or feeling mixed about what you were being asked to do that it did not really vibrate with, you know, your inner, your, your soft soul. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. You know, um, what really has always been a struggle for me and actually still is sometimes is, um, and I actually just wrote a piece on this called, um, like flower power, a reclamation and the elephant journal published it for me. And I was like, what has always been a really big struggle for me is, um, what, Hollywood and almost every producer and director I've ever worked with, especially male, thinks a strong woman should be. There's no allowance for strength to come in all forms in my industry. And that drives me crazy because I do wear flowery dresses. I do identify with being really kind and really nice. But do I know my boundaries? Yes. Do I know no? Yes, I do. And but people would say, oh, you come off so nice. Like we want this character to be strong. And I'm like, why can't nice and strong be the same thing? And that is not really in Hollywood yet. It's like these people are like, you know, and now women's roles are getting so much better and bigger, but I do think they're getting tougher and tougher too, because it's a lot of 
you know, a lot of men are writing these roles too. And I think it's like, oh, we want to see strong women. So women, so we have to make them super tough. And it's like, no, there's a lot of strength in kindness and compassion and femininity. And that is something I, I really always felt like I was betraying myself. Like even on the last role I was on, people would be like, we want her strong. I played a doctor on TV. We want her strong. We want her strong. And I'm like, I'm giving you strength. And if you don't like my kind of strength, I don't know what to tell you. Like, you know, this strength has gotten me really far in my life. <laughs> Amen. So. I I cannot agree with you more. I say this all the time. Like we work on in our, in my lit yoga, like being strong because it takes an incredible amount of strength to be kind. It is way easier and weaker to be mean, to be loud, to be crass, to be argumentative, to be abrasive. It is, that's, that's so easy. That's like path of least resistance. To be strong and very clear about your core values and to stand in that and to be the voice for those whose uh, voices aren't represented. Wow, that is a strength, but it doesn't have to be this loud, abrasive strength. You know, they, no, and I yeah. think that's what's bothering me right now, especially too, because I do feel like there's a lot of women coming out and saying like, you know, I'm not going to let, you know, uh, body shaming go on, diet culture, this and that, which I love and I stand for. But the way in which people are like, let's say attacking the Kardashians, right? Like, obviously it's not great that they're encouraging diet culture and these shakes that aren't good for these young girls' bodies. And I know it's creating a lot of issue, but then to lash back at them and be like, you're such an idiot. Why are you doing this? So now you are bullying the bully and it's just, it's a perpetual cycle then. So you cannot, you know what I mean? You can't fight fire with fire like that. And that is, I think what's bothering me right now. Like, I feel like a lot of people have the right intentions, but they're doing it with their gloves up. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like it's never, nothing's ever going to get accomplished that way. I agree. I think the most powerful people are the ones when there is this calm like there's a little pause between all the yelling and they just are calm and state something so obvious. Like I think about my dad and he, you know, there, I just remember this, I, there's so many examples, but there were kids who were throwing these frogs in the air and let, and watching them land. And they thought it was really oh. funny, awful. Right. Yeah. And you know, I can imagine I would have gone over there like, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> yeah. You know, like you are such a little, you're a little turd. And and he just, <laughs> he just came up and he just said in this calm way, why would you want to, why would you want to um, hurt a little frog like that? Like just a calm, quiet question. And it's like, boom, mic drop. No one has right. an answer for that. Like, I don't really want to, like why they were doing that. They were obviously carrying off on, carrying some energy mm-hmm. in these actions that had been modeled or they thought were some representation of like tough. And it's just having a calmness. And that clarity and that calmness and also, yeah, just raising the bar for not engaging in that kind of behavior like you're talking about, bullying somebody. I mean, like as women, we need to empower each other, first of all. Everybody's going to have a different way. I don't, I don't, you know, whatever anybody wants to do is fine. Like we should have our own inner strength to not succumb to some of these, whatever they are, fads. But what, um, for you, what, when, with beyond acting, you have so many other things I want to talk about, but like, what do you want to represent for other women? 
Um, I think the biggest thing when I, when I really started acting and started realizing that I was doing things that people were actually seeing and was gaining like a following, especially with young women, I felt like I always want to come off as relatable, especially, you know, being someone who loves, you know, wellness and, um, you know, is an advocate for mental health and, you know, all about healing and stuff. Like, I feel like right now, especially on social media and stuff, you see all these things about self-healing and it makes it, you feel like you have to have like some magic potion or a ton of money to involve yourself in these practices. Um, and I think that in my work too, like I've always felt like unless I'm literally playing a model or wonder woman, like I want to represent the everyday woman, you know what I mean? And so, um, I think that's always kind of been my focus is just wanting to stay relatable and show women like, look, you can do these things and you don't have to spend a million dollars like Gwyneth Paltrow does every year on, you know, wellness retreats and things like that. You know what I mean? It's, it is accessible for the everyday woman. So what are some of those tools that you really subscribe to that are very accessible for anyone? And how did you find them? Yeah. Oh, oh, wow. I think like trial and error, right? Like I love being out in nature and stuff. And mm. I think that, you know, um, taking myself on these little glamping trips that aren't like, you know, crazy expensive as these like wellness spas was something I was like, Oh my God, I'm connecting with nature the way I'd want to here, but I'm not spending that much money here. Having fun with, you know, making my own nut milks and not having to spend all this like exorbitant amount of money on, you know, uh, pre-made, you know, milks and like, I was like, okay, that's a good way. And then I would look up little things for like DIY masks or, you know what I mean? Like face masks and things. And I was like, well, it's kind of fun, you know, creating your own things and just realizing that all these little tools, like having the crystals and the oils and, you know, going on these routines, obviously that's so fun. And if you can do it great, but even just being able to go to the park and sit and like put your feet and hands in the dirt and meditate and have your own little rituals and journal, like you will get just as much out of it, I think. Now, when did you start doing like meditation and journaling? So I've been journaling my whole life. I've, I always loved journaling. Um, but I started meditating, like really meditating when I was, I think, 26. I met a um, transcendental meditation teacher and I did a course with him. Um, and I did that for a while. And now my meditations have kind of turned into whatever I feel I need them to be. You know, mm -hmm. like um, I met a, uh, this amazing energy healer when I was 30 and she kind of showed me the world of like spiritual meditation and like calling things in meditation and you know what I mean? So, um, it kind of changes with my mood. Well, and that's, I think that's really important for anybody listening who has maybe been a little intimidated. Meditation is a lot of different forms. There can be, uh, like you were saying about transcendental. I also did that training, which is a mantra. There can be a yeah. sound that is like a concentration form of meditation. And that's really, all these are great, great for the brain great for the yeah. nervous system. And then there's mindfulness, just like being at the park, having your yeah. feet on the earth, feeling that yeah. connection to the bench that you're sitting on, hearing the birds, yeah. like just being present in that moment because so many moments of our day, our mind is not hooked into that present moment. We're thinking about our to-do list. We're thinking about 
something that happened in the past. And so it's very simple ways. And then there can be, um, con, you know, some ways of contemplating just whether it's again, like a visual or imagery. There's so many ways in there. And you don't have to be good at meditation. <laughs> it's no. just like, try exactly. it. All you're trying to do is not, you don't stop thoughts. Thoughts, our brain is working. It's always going to be having thoughts. It's not attaching to the thoughts necessarily and having them, you know, especially if you have, we all have these tendencies to get spirally um, on a thought and just noticing it and just saying, oh, okay, brain, I'm not going to ride with that one today. It, right. the, it's beautiful. It's it's wonderful training. Have you found outside of meditation other other ways to really kind of level or calm your nervous system or rig you like rev you up if you feel, are feeling low? Because people also, you know, having a very busy mind doesn't mean that you're anxious. It can also mean that you're right. on a more depressive mode. No, totally. Yeah, I um. Um, getting outside is, mm. is really important for me. Um, getting into nature, whether that's a walk in the park or, you know, walk down by the lake, whatever it is, um, that really helps a lot, a lot. Um, trying to think what else, it, a lot of time, like movement, but what's hard is when you do get in that spiral, it's hard to, you almost need that support system that you can call and be like, Force me out of the house, please. <laughs> well, especially because you've been living in Chicago for the past six years, as you were just telling me. My daughter's yeah. living there now. And one thing I wrote to her in this long letter that I wrote is like, get outside. I mean, bundle up. I know it's going to be really cold. But yeah, if you can get outside, being outside five, 10 minutes, 15, it just changes yes. the way you feel. And we're so in inside right now. And, and, and you need that outside. I love that you're saying just get outside. It's, it sounds so simple, yeah. but you're right. Sometimes right. you get stuck. Right. And then sometimes if I'm like, really it's nighttime and I'm just like, sometimes I'll like pull out a drawing pad or paint and I'll put on a good movie. And that's like another way to just kind of clear it. Or I'll be like, you know what? I've been wanting to try this recipe. I'm going to bake this tonight. Even if it turns out to be horrible, I'm just going to do that. And then you put on music and you you feel like you're doing something like for me being creative definitely gets me out of my head and helps a lot. I love that. So you are very much an activist and a humanitarian. Was this something that was modeled for you growing up? How did you, I, I suspect that it was just another thing that added on to, you know, your daily life and identity as your profession, but was probably needed to have some, I don't want to say real world experience, but like getting in, mm. in with people that are not in this much more <laughs> unique environment, like being in Hollywood. Yeah. Um, no, it's interesting. I didn't really have anyone that I kind of saw and was like, okay, that's, I want to do that. I, um, I feel like from the time I was really young, I used to get very angry at like injustices mm. or if I would see like a hurt animal or something like I would get really affected by it. But when I was younger and in my teens and stuff, it, it came out more as anger. Like when I would see like social injustices or things like I'd get like very angry and I didn't know how to channel that anger and I didn't even know what to do with it. So I'm sure I just became a part of the problem too. Cause I wasn't standing in love. I was definitely like in a lot of angst and anger over it. And then 
can remember my first job. Um, my first job as a series regular on the show, I, I, on a show, I was 20 years old and I did this show called beautiful people. And this woman, Daphne Zuniga, she, um, played my mother and she's had a really long career. She was on Melrose Place. She was princess Vespa and, um, space balls. Like she's just had a really great career. And I learned so much from her. She was, you know, going to, to Washington, to, to DC, to, you know, lobby about environmentalism. And, you know, she told me, she's like, you know, read a lot of books, which I was already an avid reader, but she was like, you know, don't just like get stuck on location, making money and going out shopping, like read books, stay in class, you know, and she was a pescatarian. I was still eating meat at the time. And I just remember kind of look, she was like the first person I kind of looked up to that. I was like, Oh, that's a really like, that's a really empowered woman. Like, I love that. I want to be that. So she definitely set me on like a little bit of a path for sure. Oh, I love that kind of mentor. That's really mm-hmm. modeling, the modeling and living their values. And like you said, it's yeah. really easy to just kind of be a bystander and read something and get angry, but it's quite different to get involved. So I want to talk yeah. a little bit about your involvement because you have sure. traveled You've traveled to the countries in Africa that I have that I love so dearly. And can you talk a little bit about what, what inspired that and what you did there? Yeah. So, um, well, Africa was really specific because we went over to do a documentary and it was really beautiful. So I had found uh, hospice work when I was about 24 years old, I think. And I went to this training, not really knowing what hospice was. I just found it on a random Google um uh, search because I was just like, I need to volunteer. I need to get out of my own head. I was on set a lot and just being in the reconditioned air and being around like some personalities that, you know, I just, it, it wasn't my favorite. So I was like, I was getting a little depressed and I was like, I need to put my energy elsewhere. And like hospice popped up on my search and I didn't know what it was. I called them. They happened to be starting a new training that weekend. I hopped on and I started doing inpatient care, which was life-changing and incredible, but through them. So then I, um, as my career started growing, they kind of knew I was uh, volunteering and I became like a spokesperson for hospice with the national hospice and palliative care organization. And then there's also national hospice organization organization as well. And I had met them at a conference for NHPCO and the president of national hospice told me about this thing he was doing in Africa. They were teaming up because hospice really doesn't exist in Africa. And there's, you know, all these people dying of AIDS and other horrible diseases who don't really have access to care. And their children from the ages of like five to 18 are walking miles and miles every day just to get their ailing parents medication. And it's just, it's so sad. So anyways, he was working with a nurse over in, um, in Uganda. And he was like, I want to do a documentary about the lack of hospice and these child caregivers basically. So, uh, he's like, do you want to do it with me? And I was like, yeah. Uh, (laughs) So we went over there and it was amazing. We went to Kenya, Uganda, and South Sudan. I didn't go to South Sudan. I only went to the first two because I had to get back to work, but it was so, we, we met these kids and these families and they shared their stories and we stayed at different hospices and, it was just like, it was just a, a mind blowing. Um, I, I it just definitely forever changed me that experience. I think travel, I mean, it's obviously not everybody can, but 
to travel to a different country and culture is is kind of the equivalent of a huge dose of nature. It is such a it it is so good for our entire ecosystem to recognize yeah. that the world is much larger and there are people always who have much more to deal with. Yeah. And that sometimes can feel really futile, but on, on the other hand, it's like you can do it, you can. And doing like yeah. this project, saying yes to it is incredible. Can you speak a little bit about hospice to people that are, because I think people think hospice and they're like, okay, people are dying and they're in hospice. Yeah, like yeah, what yeah. is involved when you are be, pro, like providing hospice care in the way that yeah. your organizations do? You know, it's funny because when I was like 24, 25 and I first started, uh, my friends and family were like, are you sure you want to do this? You're already a little depressed. Like, isn't this going to make it worse? And I was like, no, you don't understand. It's bringing so much light to my life. And I do feel like there is a negative connotation with hospice and hospice volunteering. And I feel like that's so unfortunate because I feel like, especially in America, like society, as society puts this picture on death, like it's this big grim reaper and like this dark cloud that's looming over us. And, you know, don't bring it up. It's like, why would you talk about that? And, oh, it's really morbid. It's like, it's the one thing that we're all going to do. Right. And to me, I feel like being able to be with somebody and give them comfort and love and respect and help them from the phase they're in now onto the next. It felt like I was like almost in the room giving birth, like not me giving birth, but helping somebody give birth to what's next as they're going to the next place where that is. I don't know what that is. I don't know, but, but it just, to me, it feels just as important as the birthing process. And, you know, we have so much joy in people entering the world. And so we, not that we need to have joy for people leaving the world, but I, I was, um, I get, I love the course of Mir- a course of miracles. And I was listening to a podcast based on a course of miracles. And this woman was saying how her mother asked, please, when you surround my deathbed and when I'm going, I want you all to laugh to her and her other two siblings. And it was happening and they knew she was dying. They were like, she wants us to laugh. They're like sobbing. They're like, how are we going to start laughing? And then one did and the other started laughing and they had they gave their mother the opportunity to go into the next phase filled with so much joy and love. And I was like, God, that's gotta be so challenging. But, but yeah, that's, that's so beautiful. So hospice volunteering, when you do inpatient care, you're normally assigned to somebody who, you know, their family may be taking care of them all the time and has to have a dentist appointment and just needs a break once a week, or they may not have any family at all and want some comfort and, you know, companionship as, so you go and visit them like once or twice a week, you know, and when you're on hospice care, you do have six months or left uh, or less to, um, to live. But I'm telling you some of the most light filled moments that I've had have been like through hospice and getting to meet people and hear their stories and hear that they never talk about how successful they were or how much money they made. It's always about who they loved, who they didn't love, who they regretted not telling that they loved them, where they traveled, you know what I mean? Family, you know, and a lot of the regrets that I hear when people want to get things out is like regrets of, you know, 
turning someone down, turning down a marriage proposal because they were scared or not telling this person they loved them or being estranged from their kid or their sister or whatever. And I was like, that's what it really comes down to at the end. It's just, it's really beautiful. Oh, that is so beautiful. I think there's so many lessons to be learned there is that, (laughs) you know, there is that like kind of live like you're dying. It's like this idea of like, how do you, what is most important and be clear about that. And, and yeah, they always say that no one's talking about anything that has money involved. It's all the priceless things, relationships, experiences that, um, that, that stay with us and stick in our soul and our memories. And that we, we will carry through our next phase for sure. Absolutely. So beyond this, you, it sounds like you have had your own spiritual journey. And it includes, I think, astrology. You mentioned a little bit of Course in Miracles. Can you talk a little bit about your, the way spirituality is embedded or woven into your life? Let me say, my favorite thing about Course in Miracles, and this kind of, to me, wraps up everything I do in spirituality um, work, whether it be, you know, astrology, meditation, prayer, affirmations, whatever it is, it is the knowledge that I am not fully in control of things that are so much bigger than me, right? Which is such a relief if you think about it. Sometimes when, you know, when things are going crazy and you're like, oh my God, there's so much happening in the world. I'm so stressed. I'm so this, I'm so that. And then you take a pause and literally send it, send it over elsewhere and say like universe, God, goddess, whatever you believe in, like, please help me, please take this from me. It's like, you know, to think that we're, you know, just these single individual humans that are in control of all this stuff is so not the case. And to let go and have the knowledge that something so much bigger is guiding all of this. It's like, it takes so much stress away. And and that to me is the crux of like, the strength of spirituality and what it does for my life. I mean, there's so many other millions of things of how it makes me happy and how it keeps me tethered and this and that. But like the main part is like, I don't have to do this alone. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yes. I like that a lot because I think sometimes I tend to focus on the fact that, isn't it great? There's so much, you know, like for self healing and things like that. There's so much that we can do for ourselves Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it is really important to acknowledge that we are little specks and, and there's a much bigger universe and lots yeah. of things at play and give ourselves the grace that, that yeah, we're like, yeah. let's just be ready for whatever the challenge or the celebration would be and, exactly. and do what we can for, to be a active participant in that. And, and that yeah. can be in whatever direction it might be taking us. Absolutely. So what are some of your non-negotiables for keeping sane, (laughs) keeping balanced, whether you're, you know, on, you know, in an acting situation or just in daily life? Um, Alone time. Hmm. Amen, (laughs) sister. (laughs) I need it. I am fully aware that there are so many people out there that recharge through other people and being social. And that is just not me. And I think being aware of whatever type of person you are and honoring that is so important because I, if I'm out too much, socializing too much, spending too much time with other people, talking too much, I actually feel myself like losing all forms of my personality and just like 
shutting down. Withering, withering. Yeah. Withering. yeah. That's exactly what it is. Like I, so that is a non-negotiable when I feel myself going down. And even if that means I have to come home and turn on the TV and just watch something. Cause my brain can't even like, some days I'm like, I can't even read a book. I don't want to look at anything. I don't want to talk about anything. I just want to like, you know, yep. I'm going to just watch a show. And that to me is like, can be so recharging. So that is definitely a non-negotiable. <laughs> I think that's really important to realize. I think that a lot of people, even my daughter, who's now 19, so smart. I think she yeah. wanted to think she was extroverted for many years and then <laughs> realized like, no, I, and then, so now she has this whole like, wow, my social battery, I can feel it. It was really going down, mom. So I left and I'm like, I'm so proud of her because I think recognizing yeah. that now in this young years is huge because it'll save you yeah. a lot of, the, like we are wired the way we're wired and there's yes. things that we can, you know, tweak or adjust, but at the, we should know like, this is what fuels me and this what isn't. And there's no yes. judgment on it. It's like, it Absolutely. is what it is. Cause I'm like you, I can go out and be in, in with a lot of people, but I, boy, do I need my alone time. Yeah. <laughs> So, um, how, besides that, how, it sounds like we know how you both give and receive energy. You really are giving, whether it's humanitarian work, animal activism. Um, can we briefly touch on that since we're both big animal fans? I guess you've always probably been an animal lover. Yeah. Yeah. We had, um, some animals growing up. Um, funny because we had a lot of birds. We had like six birds, which is funny because now I wouldn't have birds because I hate like caging yes, any animal, I but know. you know, I yeah. didn't know that. And I don't, my parents didn't know, you know, and then we had, we had a dog that went to a farm. Mm-hmm. Um, cause I, it's funny. My dad is not an animal person and I respect it. He like, doesn't like being licked. He doesn't like the way they smell. He's just like, no. So I get that. But we did course him into getting two little dogs when I was like around 11 years old that I really adored. But then the majority of my animal intake has been, um, just me as an adult. I have two rescues. Now my boyfriend came into our relationship with a, with a dog. So now we have a household of three dogs, which I love. Um, I recently got a farm up in Michigan that I redid that I bought it with the intention of turning it into like a dog hospice, just making it like a little rescue for older dogs that can't get adopted, you know, and just having them spend out their last years Mm. on the farm. So, um, yeah, I just love animals. They're just so innocent, you know, Mm -hmm. they're just like, they are, I know. And they love so generously and, and they're so, yeah, again, because we don't speak the same language, we often, many people, it's easy to think of them as some something less. And they're so intelligent yeah. and socially so intelligent. intelligent and so unbelievably unconditionally giving. It's crazy. I, it's funny. I was thinking, I was like, I bet she's going to like go to a, have a farm and have animals on the farm. Because <laughs> I think, I think when you're an animal lover, like that's like, that would be like next level. Yes. <laughs> it's such a oh. great beautiful job. Yeah. I know. I'm in the preliminary stages of figuring out exactly how logistically to start this farm, but I know that my three dogs are definitely loving running around the farm and taking advantage of it. I love <laughs> for that. For themselves right now. So they're all they're all laying here by the way behind my computer just sleeping and staring at me. I love that. <laughs> I know. My my dog just lays when I'm teaching class and it's so sweet. So, so sweet. besides the farm, any other aspirations you have? that in the future? Like, do you have, you know, I would say aspirations versus goals, goals, whatever, but what do you, what do you want for yourself? 
Hmm, that's a really good question. I mean, I definitely, um, I mean, I want to keep learning and growing, obviously. I want to, um, I want to do the farm thing. I really want to learn how to garden. I have, I'm a terrible gardener and it's so funny. Everybody in my life assumes I'm good at it. I think because I'm vegetarian and because I have the farm and because of this, when I kill every household plant, they're like, I thought you were amazing <laughs> at gardening. I'm like, that is you're sticking a stereotype on me because I love wearing overalls and I love animals. I'm terrible at gardening. Same. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I'll so tell bad. you one thing I did get. What? Every, most people who've been listening might know that veggie pod, which oh. you can be the worst, which I am. And they're, yeah. like, literally it's so dummy proof. Okay. Yeah. You'll have to look it up because okay, look it it, up. I grow my own lettuce and greens mostly Amazing. now, but yeah. I mean, it is dummy proof. <laughs> it is, is so awesome. great. Veggie pie created that. by a wonderful Australian. <laughs> Shout out to him. Um, That's so great. Yes. Um, yeah. I also want to, you know, I want to contribute some way um, in, in giving back um, in the wellness space in the way that I have been able to take it. Like I said, like, really showing um, people how accessible it really can be and that you don't have to break your bank. And then I also want to, I do work with this um, organization called Safe Bay that teaches kids about sexual consent and sexual assault. And I'm so passionate about um, the work that I do with them. And we're having our first uh, summer activist institute this June. And so my goal and my aspirations, I guess, would be to keep doing that work too. I think it is so important to talk to young kids about this stuff. And I just, I love it. So I want that to grow more and more too. I love that, Tori. Oh my gosh, you're such a gem. And I love that you're, you know, you're going into these er these areas, these topics um, that are not, you know, that, that that are kind of put under the rug, you know, talking about hospice, talking about death, talking about sex, you know, boundaries and understanding your body. I remember teaching my kids all about that, but it was like, I was using the actual names, which you're supposed to use vagina and penis and all this stuff. And, you know, they were like five years old and, and some of their friends, parents didn't use those terms. And I'm like this, that's what that's contributing to the whole issue of not like, like owning your body and being proud of it. There's no shame in it. We don't call it something that it's not because it's shameful to talk about the actual name. It's very fascinating. So it's, you're already heading into these these two arenas that really need to be um, in everyday conversation really need a lot of, I guess, just dignity, you know, and more respect and more conversation about them. So hooray, yeah. hooray. You are brave. You are like, you're like a soft soul with a badass um, mission. So it's been such a joy talking to you, Tori. Where can people learn more about you and any of the work that you're doing? Um, I am on Instagram and I do post a lot of my journey with things like the farm and things like that, um, on my Instagram and that's just at Tori DeVito, but that's it. I don't really do much of the other social medias. Yeah. Just so that. everybody go check out Tori on Instagram and look at what she's <laughs> up to. And you can be a mentor, I'm sure for many, just like, um, Daphne was for you and others have been, I think that's what we do as women. We really we help enlighten and, 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 you know, empower the way so that we call, we can all do our job to be there for each other 
And Absolutely. yeah, be soft souls. I love that. Absolutely. Thank you so oh, much. God. It's been a joy. Thank you so much. And for all of you listening, as always, I'm pulling for you. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.